Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. Looking forward to a great day today. Looking forward to what God is going to do together. And uh, we're going to be in week number two of Your Future Family. Are you ready this morning? Thanks for being here. You can find a seat. And if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number five is where we're going to be. And last week, we started a brand new collection of messages that we're calling Your Future Family. And we learned last week that our future families are under construction. And we are making decisions today that will dramatically affect the future of our families and for our lives. We talked about the importance of raising a godly home in Psalm chapter 127. And... This week, week number two, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter five, and we're going to be talking about relationships and uh, the marriage relationship. And I want to bring a message this morning that I'm calling revolutionary relationships. Mike liked that. He was like, amen. Revolutionary relationships. Are you ready this morning? Ephesians chapter five, verse number 18 is where we're going to start. The Bible says this, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Everybody say love. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And God, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to worship your name today. And uh, Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to look to your word and to uh, find 
uh, practical instruction for everyday living. And uh, Lord, I pray that we can lean into your word today. Lord, I pray that we can uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit to give us uh, eyes of understanding. Lord, I pray that we can uh, seek to know exactly uh, what you'd have for us today and what decisions you'd want us to make. Lord, thank you for all of your blessings and all of your goodness uh, to us on a daily basis. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you would consider yourself to be a morning person? Can I see your hands, a morning person? How many of you would say, I am not a morning person? Can I see your hand, not a morning person? I would consider myself for the most part, for the most part, to be a morning person. I like to wake up early and get a lot of things done in the mornings. I feel like my mind is is, uh, uh, working best when it's in the morning. And what I've learned with three children is that I rarely have to set an alarm clock. And uh, it seems like about every morning my kids are running in with some great and worthy announcement that they need to declare to me in the, in the early hours of the morning. The other day I, I woke up and I, I thought I heard something and there was a Star Wars mask right in front of me. And I'm like, how long have you been there for? Like, you know, it's kind of a creepy way to uh, wake up. And uh, several months ago, I, uh, I thought I heard something in the room and I kind of looked over and I noticed that my son Luke was in the room and he was just looking out the window. And he was kind of looking intently, and the sun was coming up. And I said, Luke, what are you, what are you doing? What are you looking at? And he said, Dad, it's the future. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you're absolutely right. It is, it's the future. Look at it. I'm like, man, that, that's awesome. He's a wise young man. And, uh, you know, this morning, as we are continuing this series uh, on your future family, we're talking about the future. And specifically, we're talking about uh, our future families. And when Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter number five, what he's doing is he's giving us a glimpse into the future. He's giving, he's giving his audience and the readers a glimpse into what the family should look like. And Ephesians was a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. And really the, the major theme of the book of Ephesians is our new identity in Christ, our new life in Christ. And a part of that new identity and that new life in Christ accompanies new relationships. And once you are a, a follower of Jesus, your relationship should be dramatically different because you now have new life in Christ. And so we have these new relationships. And when, when we come to Ephesians 5 and Paul is saying things like, uh, husbands, love your wives and, and submit one to another. In Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents. And he's talking about these family relationships. To us, they are very familiar. Uh, to us, we're very used to this, and we know, okay, we've heard this passage many times, and, and uh, there's been books written on this passage and marriage conferences uh, based on this passage, and we know uh, some of these principles. We're very familiar with them, but that was not the case when uh, Paul was writing this letter. In fact, when Paul was writing this letter, the culture was dramatically different, and this would have been very foreign uh, to its original audience. In fact, it would have seemed absurd to the church at Ephesus to hear some of these things that Paul was saying. And uh, we have to understand that there was three uh, predominant influencing cultures during this time. There was the Jewish culture, and in Jewish culture... Uh, marriage was kind of on a decline. There was kind of a negative connotation attached to uh, marriage. In fact, uh, the Jews, uh, uh, the Jewish culture at this time had a very low view of women. In fact, there was a daily traditional prayer that Jewish men would pray, and they would wake up in the morning, they would say, Lord, thank you for not making me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And so they kind of had this, this negative connotation surrounding women. And, and uh, in fact, Jewish culture, they pretty much viewed women more like a possession than a person. And so when Jesus came and when Jesus started to begin uh, his earthly ministry, when he was teaching, there was this negative connotation to where many Jewish girls, they didn't even want to be married because they were, they were afraid and they were uncertain as to what might happen in that marriage. And so that was Jewish culture. This is where Paul is writing. And then there was Greek culture. And Greek culture was far worse than even Jewish culture because in Greek culture, prostitution was not only a part of life, it was a way of life. 
In fact, to, to the Greeks, your wife was someone that was to uh, raise up your legitimate children. But when it came to companionship and pleasure and even conversation, you would find that elsewhere. And so in Greek culture, uh, marriage was, was kind of this side commodity. It was kind of a necessity, but it wasn't something that you really had this intimate relationship uh, with your spouse. In fact, uh, the Athenian orator and statesman Demosthenes, he said this, We have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and having a faithful guardian for our household affairs. And so he was saying, hey, we have, uh, we have our wives just basically to take care of the home, but everything else we're going to look for elsewhere. In fact, uh, Socrates, he said this, is there anyone to whom you entrust more serious matters than to your wife? And is there anyone to whom you talk less? And so we see that in Jewish culture, uh, women were treated uh, disrespectfully, kind of on the decline. In Greek culture, marriage was just simply a side commodity, not highly valued. And then uh, we have Roman culture. And in Roman culture, uh, uh, marriage was all over the place. Relationships were all over the place. It was not uncommon at all in Roman culture to uh, get, uh, get married, get divorced, get married, get divorced, get married, get divorced. In fact, uh, uh, the biblical scholar Jerome, he records one account where uh, a man was marrying his 23rd wife. And for him, it was his, her 21st first husband. That's a lot of wedding cake, right? Like, I mean, that, that's a lot of celebrating. And uh, in Roman culture, which is kind of all over the place. And so we have these three predominant cultures, and this is the audience to whom Paul is writing this letter to. And so when Paul says, hey, husbands, love your wives, that's unheard of. This is a completely new concept. Children, obey your parents. And in the Lord, for this is right. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath because fathers would view their children as slaves, as property. Sometimes they would even sell their children for profit. And so when Paul's writing these, these things, this is a whole new world. This is a glimpse into the future family. It's as if Paul was doing a little sermon series called Your Future Family. This is what it should look like. This is, this is a whole new way to have relationships. These are revolutionary relationships. Now, in our culture, sadly and tragically, even though when Paul wrote this and when Christian concepts kind of infiltrated the world, it dramatically had uh, an effect and a change on the world as we know it. In fact, uh, commentator William Barclay, uh, he says this, he says, it is impossible to exaggerate the cleansing effect that Christianity had on home life in the ancient world and the benefits it brought to women. And so he was saying when Paul started to teach these things and when Christianity started to kind of spread in the first century in the early church, this had a dramatic effect on, on the world as we know it. And so these, these uh, concepts that Paul is teaching about the future family would, would radically change the world as we know it. And tragically, even though these principles and concepts and biblical truths have changed the world, we've begun yet again in American culture to drift from these truths. And now in American culture, we are struggling to define the definition of marriage. And now in American culture, we are struggling with gender identities, and we're struggling with the connotation and a, and a, and a pessimistic mindset when it comes to marriage. And so now, even though these concepts and these truths revolutionize the world, now once again, we are drifting from these truths Again, in fact, USA Today, just a couple of months ago, they did a study and they said that 31% of uh, people that they interviewed, 31% of spouses say that if they had to do it all over again, they would not marry their spouse again. Wow. 
And so we know that the divorce rates are at an all-time high, and the devil is attacking the home and attacking marriage, and people don't even want to be married, and there's this negative connotation. And in the midst of all this, I believe that God is calling us to get back to a revolutionary relationship, to get back to what the Bible says about relationships, to get back to what God says about the home and what God says about the family. I just want to say, hey, hey, no matter what your relationship status looks like, if you come from a dysfunctional family, if your home is broken, if there's all kinds of mess, all kinds of chaos going on, hey, we serve a God of reconciliation. We serve a God of restoration. We serve a God of uh, revitalization. We serve a God that wants to revolutionize our relationships. And so we've got to get back to the future family. We've got to get back to what the Bible uh, prescribes as a healthy family. We talk a lot about world change, but I believe that the catalyst for world change is home change. We want to change the world. Let's start with the home. Let's start with our, our, our family relationships. The Bible talks much about the family. First Timothy chapter 5, verse number 8 says, But if any provide not for his own, Speaking of his own, own family, especially for those of his own house, he had denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. And what Paul is encouraging a young pastor named Timothy is he's saying, hey, if you, don't, if you don't love your family, if you don't care for your family, you are acting worse than a pagan society without God. And so he's saying we've got to invest in our family relationships. We've got to uh, love our family relationships. We've got to uh, deepen our family relationships. One commentator, Francis Folks, he says this, The most vital of these relationships are those of the family. For in every age, the home must be the place where, above all, the peace and harmony, the love and discipline of Christ are most clearly manifest. And so this morning, as we look to Ephesians chapter number 5, I'd like us to kind of take a take a glimpse of this portrait that Paul gives us of the future family. I'd like to look at this future family and glean some principles that we can apply to our lives and how we can revolutionize our relationships. And so if you're taking notes today, I'd like to give you four characteristics of a revolutionary relationship. Four characteristics of a revolutionary relationship. Are you ready this morning? Number one, revolutionary relationships are governed by the Holy Spirit. Revolutionary relationships are governed by the Holy Spirit. Notice verse number 18. It says this, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And I think it's imperative for us to understand before Paul gets into the nuts and bolts of relationships and, and the marital relationship. First, he says, hey, let's start with the right foundation. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled in the, in the New Testament carries the connotation, the idea of being completely governed, controlled by something. And so what he was saying is, hey, don't be uh, filled with alcohol as was common in Ephesus. Don't be filled with alcohol, but rather be filled with something else. Be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In fact, it's in the present imperative tense. It means uh, to be being filled, to keep on being filled. Uh, it's not just a one-time filling. No, on a daily basis, we need to say, Lord, would you fill me with your spirit? Lord, would you guide me and instruct me in righteousness? Because uh, this is what we need for healthy relationships. The power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, can I tell you that love is not enough? Yeah. Gary Chapman, he says this, being in love is not a sufficient foundation on which to build a successful marriage because there is something far more powerful than love, and that is the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, a lot of times people get uncomfortable about the Holy Spirit and people kind of get uh, weirded out maybe, and especially people new to the faith, and what's the Holy Spirit? And, and a lot of people kind of equate 
uh, the Holy Spirit to kind of like the force in Star Wars or something like that. And that is just uh, obviously not uh, what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He has a will. He has emotions. And the Bible teaches that upon the moment of salvation, we were uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit took up residence in our lives. This is what Jesus taught in This is what Jesus taught in John chapter 14, verse number 17. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth uh, with you and shall be in you. And so if you are a Christian today, if you have placed your faith in Jesus alone, then the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life. And now you are indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is great news. And you might be thinking, well, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Well, John 16, 13, Jesus goes on. And he's teaching his disciples, and he says, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you. Everybody say, guide you. He will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, uh, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives is to guide us and to show us and to instruct us in righteousness. And a lot of times uh, we read the word of God and we think, man, I can't understand this or I'm I'm having trouble with this. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to guide us into truth. D.L. Moody, he said this, The Bible without the Holy Spirit is a sundial by moonlight. If we try to uh, understand the Bible and teach the Bible according to what we know, we're going to fail every time. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text and show us what the Word of God is trying to teach us. And I'm thankful today that we have uh, the greatest guide and the greatest teacher and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us in our relationships. And I want to tell you today that if you want victory in your marriage, if you want uh, power in your marriage, if you want victory in your relationships, you can't be filled with the flesh. You've got to be filled and governed by the Holy Spirit of God. You've got to be filled with the Spirit. Are we governed by our flesh, by what we want to do, or are we governed by the Spirit? Now, Paul goes on. He's going to talk a little bit more about this concept of being governed by the Spirit. Notice verse number 19. He says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he goes on and he lists these things uh, here in verses 19 and 20. And I believe that these uh, things are not so much commands as they are results of being filled with the Spirit. Uh, They're not so much instructions, but rather byproducts of when we are filled with the Spirit, these things will happen. Now, if we were to say, uh, you know, what are the uh, most common uh, uh, sources of frustration in any relationship or even specifically in a marriage relationship, we might boil them down to uh, a lack of communication and a lack of contentment right? Uh, Like if there's a lack of communication or if there's a uh, miscommunication, that's going to lead to frustration. Maybe we're not speaking, we're kind of holding things inside and we're getting bitter, or maybe we're communicating too much and we're saying hurtful things to uh, to people around us. And so communication leads to problems and then contentment leads to problems. If we're not content in our relationship, we're going to try to find fulfillment and satisfaction elsewhere. And people go down all kinds of wrong paths uh, because they're trying to find pleasure, fulfillment, satisfaction outside of the context of marriage. And so uh, we could say that, that communication and contentment are are two key problems when it comes to conflict in marriage. And notice, notice how when we're filled with the Spirit, these things are not so much things that we have to try really hard at, but actually they come naturally. Notice how he says, speaking to yourselves. Now, now there's all of a sudden communication taking place. Now all of a sudden there's Christ honoring communication and we're, we're singing and we're making melody in our heart to the Lord. There's this joy all of a sudden in the relationship, not because all of a sudden we're so joyful, but because we're governed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can enable us and empower us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And so now all of a sudden there's this Christ honoring communication that's taking place. And a lot of times we struggle with communication in our relationships. 
maybe as humans, we just struggle with communication, period. My daughter, Liv, she's learning to write right now, and uh, she is just kind of getting papers, and she's writing all kinds of things. In fact, she's writing like little books, and she's giving me books, and they're telling me little stories, and I have to kind of decipher what they say. I, I took a picture of one note that, that she uh, gave me, and uh, it's kind of like mad gab to try to interpret what she's saying, but it's kind of like, she says, uh, dear dad, I hope you have a great day, forever. Not sure about line three. I love you forever. Dad, from Liv, to Dad, best friends forever, that's our house. <laughs> and she's trying her best right now. She's communicating, and uh, she's trying to learn to write, and she's doing her best to communicate. And Katie and I are like, thank you, what does it say again? You know, like we're, we're, we're struggling to try to uh, uh, read what, what she's telling us. And a lot of times we struggle with communication. Maybe sometimes in our relationship someone hurts us, and we kind of hold it inside, and we don't bring it up, and we don't tell anyone. And then it happens again. And again, and then we're just kind of uh, uh, letting the bitterness get bigger and bigger and bigger and taking deeper roots in our lives. Or maybe we have no problem with just letting it out. We're constantly saying things that are on our mind and we're hurting people and we're cutting deep and we're not even realizing that the insults that we're hurling are really uh, grabbing a hold of people in our families. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter number four, verse number 29, let no corrupt communication, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it may minister grace unto uh, the hearers. And there's a novel thought that the words that we speak in our relationship should actually be edifying. They should build one another up. We should not be tearing one another down, but giving compliments and affirmation and love and building one another up. This is what God has called us to do. You say, I've tried that. It's hard. Just listen to me. I'm telling you, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God because he can enable you to do something that you would otherwise not be able to do. And so now all of a sudden there is communication. If you're with me, would you say amen? There's communication, but then there's also contentment. Notice what it says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now all of a sudden we are filled with gratitude and we have thanksgiving in our hearts and we are content with the season that God has us in because so often in marriage we struggle because there's a lack of contentment for the current season that we're in. When we're single, we just want to be dating. When we're dating, we just want to get engaged. When we're engaged, we just want to get married. And when we're married, we just want to have kids and go on to the next stage of life life where we have a little bit more money and a a bigger house. And then when we have that, it's like, man, I just want the kids to get out of the house. I can't wait for that season. And then it's like, I want the kids back because now I miss them. And we always want what's next. But see, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, all of a sudden we have this natural byproduct that we're just giving thanks in all season. Hey, regardless of your status, regardless of your income, regardless of your job situation, there could be thanksgiving in your heart because God is good and he is always good. And so now all of a sudden we have uh, communication taking place and contentment within our hearts. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. There's thanksgiving and contentment in our hearts. Joni Erickson, she said this, quadriplegic from a diving accident. She said, giving thanks is not a matter of feeling thankful. It is a matter of obedience, regardless of our circumstances. And when there is gratitude in our heart, there will be gladness in our home. There will be joy in the home when we can say, you know what, I know things aren't perfect right now, but I'm just so thankful that God is good and that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and that God has blessed me in so many ways and that he is good. And so there is an overwhelming sense of gratitude in my heart. And that will only come when we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 15, 13, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power. Everybody say the power. The power of the Holy Spirit. 
Ghost. And so I want to encourage you this morning when it comes to your relationship, start every day. If you're not a Christian today, uh, I would encourage you today that could be the day of salvation for you. And in that moment when you pray and accept Christ, the Holy Spirit will take up residence in your life and you're going to have a, a new guide and instructor for life and the power of the Holy Spirit. But if you are saved today and the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your life, I would encourage you on a daily basis to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you and to control you and to govern your relationships. And so number one, revolutionary relationships. This is Paul's future family here that, that he's talking about. A revolutionary relationship is governed not by the flesh, but by the spirit. Notice number two this morning. Revolutionary relationships recognize the victory in surrender. Notice verse number 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Many people have gotten into trouble and, and people feel uncomfortable with this verse and verse number 22, and they will erroneously uh, teach or preach this verse in isolation. And uh, a lot of people like to bring out this verse, wives submit, but they have to remember that before you can get to verse number 22, you have to go through verse number 21. And verse number 21 says, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And so what we have here is mutual submission. What we have here is teamwork. There, what we have here is surrender because there's, there's victory in surrender. And Paul is saying before you get to verse number 22, which is a specific application of verse number 21, remember that you have to submit one to another to begin with. And uh, Katie, if you can come up here for a second and help me. We see this idea of mutual submission. And one of the things that I love about uh, our new and young church is uh, how many young couples we have in our church. And uh, let's give it up for my beautiful wife, Katie, today. And uh, uh, we've had, since we started the church, the church is a little over two years old. We just celebrated uh, two years a couple of weeks ago. And uh, in two years, in the first two years, we had six couples married through Rock Hill. And so we've had a lot of, a lot of weddings and, uh, and uh, premarital counseling. And one of the things I always love to do, Katie and I, in our premarital counseling is to give a little illustration that uh, someone once showed me. And uh, the idea is of, of submission. And uh, can you hold this for a second, Dan? And uh, it's like if I said, you know, Katie and I, we're going to arm wrestle, and someone in the room said, uh, every time that you win, you're going to get $100, okay? And so we're getting ready to arm wrestle, and, and uh, of course, uh, Katie's going to put up a good challenge for me. And so uh, we're getting ready to arm wrestle, and, and he said, and it's as if someone were to say, every time you win in 60 seconds, you'll get $100. And so it would be foolish if Katie and I got ready, and uh, it's a good thing we're not really going to do this because I don't want to embarrass anybody this morning, but... <laughs> And it's like it would be very foolish for us to say, okay, we have 60 seconds. Every time you win, you get $100, right? It'd be foolish for us to kind of fight and struggle with that. And I just want to win. I just, I just, want, to, I just want to win. I want to get that $100. What, what, would be much, what would be much smarter is if we said, you know what? Hey, let's both just give in. Let's both give in. Let's both surrender. And let's just keep on going back and forth and win as much as much as we can, because what we would understand is there is victory in recognizing surrender and saying, you know what, I'm not out to make a point. I'm out to make peace. I, I want to just surrender and surrender and give in because there is mutual submission one to another. And we have to recognize that there is great victory in our relationships when we have the ability to humble ourselves and surrender and give up our rights for our significant other. Thank you, Katie. Let's give it up for Katie one more time. And so we have to understand that when it comes to our relationships, we have to be willing to submit. Submission is a two-way street. There's got to be submitting one to another. Now, notice Paul goes on, though, and in verse number 23, he says this, For the husband is the head of the wife, 
even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body, therefore as the church is subject unto Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. And so while submission must be mutual, God in his sovereignty understands and recognizes there has to be leadership within the home. And so he has ordained the husband to lead the home. Now, this is not a slide against women. Uh, remember, Christianity has always elevated women. The New Testament always elevates women. Jesus always elevates women. In fact, many other religions, uh, Judaism and Islam, women have a far lower place in society than, uh, than elsewhere. And so uh, this is not a slide against women. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the Bible over and over emphasizes equality in worth, but uh, different roles that God has given us. And so uh, men and women, yes, we are created equal, equal in worth, equal in value, but God has given us different roles. And as husbands, God has called us to lead the homes and we are going to be accountable for how we lead the home. And we have to remember that, uh, that we have this position of leadership that God has given us. Matthew Henry said this, woman was, ta- woman was taken out of a man, not out of his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled underfoot, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be loved. J.H. Yoder said this, there's no difference in worth, but in the family for its order and its unity, there must be leadership. And the responsibility of leadership is that of the husband and of the father. And what we so desperately need today in our culture and our generation is men of God that would love their wives and be the leader that God has called them to be and to be the husbands and the fathers that God has called us to be. And so we see that, th- that this is the picture, this is the blueprint for which the families are to be built. Mutual submission following the leadership of the husband in the home. Philippians 2.3 says this, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. So let's view each other better than themselves. And there's a beautiful picture of this in the Old Testament that I'd like to, that I'd like to show you uh, because uh, I believe it, it perfectly ad- uh, describes uh, what we're talking about this morning. It's in Genesis chapter 13, uh, and it's the story of Abram and his nephew Lot. And uh, the Bible says this in Genesis 13, verse number 1. It says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him. Lot is his nephew. Into the south, and Abram was very rich. Everybody say, very rich. And so Abram is rolling in the dough. He's got no problems financially. He's very rich in silver and in gold. And he, he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel and unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord and Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now watch this. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. Now, uh, this is what the Bible is saying, that Abram and Lot were so rich, they were so wealthy, they had so many possessions that they couldn't even live in the same town. It's like if my nephew Camden, who is uh, 8, 9, 10 years old, it's like if he moved to uh, Fontana and I was so rich and he was so rich, it's like, man, Fontana ain't big enough for the two of us. You know, you need to go live somewhere else. How many of you are like, that'd be a nice problem to have, right? Okay. And so, so Abram and Lot, they're like having this fight because uh, there's not room for all their stuff. They're so wealthy. And so they start to get in these arguments. In verse number 7, it says, and there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And so now all their uh, shepherds and workmen, they're arguing with each other and they're, they're, they're battling each other and they're mad because they can't share this land. And watch this. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And so while they're arguing and while they have this relational conflict, the world was watching. 
the Canaanites and the Perizzites were looking, thinking, what are they arguing about? They have so much stuff. Look at, man, they're so rich, they're so wealthy, and they're over there, they're discontent. By the way, when we have relational conflict, the world is watching. And they want to see how we're going to respond when life is difficult or when life blesses us. When God blesses us, how we're going to respond. And so now the world is watching. They have this major conflict. But watch how the conflict was resolved. If you're with me, would you say amen? amen. Verse number eight. And Abram said unto Lot, he said, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. Hey, we're family. There's no, there's no need to, uh, to have this conflict here. Let, let's resolve this conflict. He said, is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And see, what, what Abram does is he recognizes that there is victory in surrender because Abram, Abraham had every right as the elder, as the eldest, to choose what land he wanted. That, that was his right. That was his right as the eldest. He could choose wherever he wanted to go. But instead of taking advantage of his rights, he says, you know what, Lot? You pick where you want to go. If you want to go to the left, I'm going to go to the right. If you want to go to the right, I'm going to go to the left. Hey, you pick first, and you just have what you want to have, and then I'll take the other side. And what he understood and what he recognized was that there, there is great victory in surrender. And so often we are more concerned with our rights than we are with restoration. We're all about our rights. Hey, hey, I have every right to be upset at him for what he did to me. I have every right to be angry. I have every right to uh, be treated in a better way. I have every right for this. And I just want to remind you that God could say, I have every right to judge you. I have every right to bring condemnation. But I'm thankful that God didn't say I have every right to. He says, I love you so much that I want to send my only begotten son to earth to live a perfectly sinless life and to die in your place because he was more concerned with restoration and with reconciliation than he was rights. What do you want more, your rights or restoration? And so we have to learn in our relationships that there is victory in surrender, submitting one to another. Hey, I might have a right to be upset, but I'm going to surrender that right because I want restoration more than I want my right. And so Paul is, is, is teaching and he's explaining, hey, there's victory in surrender. But notice the third characteristic of a revolutionary relationship. Number three, revolutionary relationships are marked by their compassion. They are marked by their compassion. Now, this is a very interesting text here in Ephesians chapter 5. We have three and a half verses that are addressed to the wives, and we have eight and a half verses that are written to the husbands. And so we see that the husbands have this, this major weight to the relationship, this major responsibility to the relationship. And the overall appeal to husbands here is to be marked with compassion, to, to, to show great Love. And so while I believe the next few verses that we're going to go through have application for all of us, specifically there is great application for the role of the husband. And so uh, notice what he says here in the next verse, verse number 25. He says, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Notice that the biblical definition of love, love is a matter of the will, not a matter of emotions. He doesn't say love if you feel like it or not. Biblical love is a decision, not an emotion. Love your wives. And then he says, husbands, love your wives. Watch this. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, 
That's how we're to love our wives, this great example where Jesus died for the church, where Jesus uh, died uh, and gave himself for it. This is a sacrificial love. This is a selfless love. And if we're ever going to love our wives like this, we have to first understand the kind of love and the depths of this love that Jesus demonstrated for us. And to do that, we have to take our minds back to Calvary. We have to take our minds back to Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus was whipped with a cat of nine tails, where Jesus was uh, speared in his side, where he was placed a crown of thorn upon his heads, and he went to the cross, and he did it all for you, and he did it all for me because he loved us with this kind of great love. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's the kind of love that he has for us. And the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. No matter what your relationship status looks like, no matter how broken your home might be, no matter how bad things might appear, can I say that nothing, the Bible says, nothing can separate you from the love of God? This is great news today. This is amazing, overwhelming love that God has for us. And husbands, that's how we're to love our wives. That's a tall order. It's a sacrificial love. It's a selfless love. It's a love that's willing to die for the one that we love. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all that they should live not henceforth unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. See, life is not all about us. It's about living for the one who died for us. There was a book recently uh, called The Normal Bar, and it, it was about surprising secrets of happy couples, and they interviewed 70,000 couples for this particular book, and they, they asked this question, have you ever given up an important part of yourself to keep your relationship together? And of those married 21 years or longer, 49% affirmed that they had made a selfless sacrifice. And we learned that, that the longevity of our love is contingent upon our level of sacrifice. How much are we willing to sacrifice and give up of our own rights for the sake of our spouse? And so, and so we're learning that, that we have to love unconditionally as husbands, but then also we're to help our wives grow spiritually. Notice what it says in verse number 26. Is it okay if I just kind of teach through these verses for a minute? Verse number 26, that he might sanctify. The word sanctify means to be set apart. And so Paul here is talking about Jesus, and he's talking about Jesus' relationship with the church, that he might sanctify and set it apart and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And so at the moment of salvation, we were justified, we were declared righteous, but then there was this process that began, began of sanctification where we are being set apart, we're becoming more like Christ, because even though we have a home in heaven reserved for us and we have a relationship with God, we still struggle with sin sometimes, and we're trying to get victory over that sin, and that process is called sanctification. And how does that process work? Well, he says, uh, by the washing the water by the word. The word of God has this purifying effect. The Bible tells us in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so how does the sanctification process happen? By the word of God. The Bible tells us in Psalms, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to thy word. And so it's through the word of God that we have this sanctification process. And so that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot and a wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And so uh, here Paul's talking about Christ's relationship with the church and this process of sanctification. He says, as husbands, we are to help lead our wives in this sanctification process. We're to help them grow spiritually. We're to point them towards Christ. And so we're to help them in any way that we can to grow spiritually. I read, I read a, a humorous article recently and it was of an Egyptian woman who filed a divorce after just two weeks of being married because she was complaining that her husband was helping around the house too much. 
end. This is what uh, the article said. This is what she said when filing for divorce. My husband is a housewife. He doesn't let me touch anything in our house and does all the cooking, cleaning, and general household chores. He controls everything in our house, and I have no say in anything, not even where he puts the TV set. Even though he owns his own business, he hired people to manage it in order for him to stay at home while I sit and watch. How many of you wives are like, that sounds pretty good. You know, like, I don't see what the problem is. Rarely do husbands get in trouble for helping too much, right? And here Paul is not so much talking about helping around the house, but he's talking about helping and spurring one another to spiritual growth. He's saying just as Christ is sanctifying the church and leading the church to holiness and righteousness, the husband's responsibility is to help the wife grow spiritually and to lead in devotions and to lead in the word of God and set the right kind of example for his wife. Now, if you're married today and your husband is not a believer and you're thinking, well, where does this leave me? Well, Peter addresses this issue in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 1, when he says this, wives... Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. And so the context there and what that means is some that don't obey the word, some that aren't a believer. They're, they're not a Christian. They're not submitting to the word of God. They, without a word, watch this, may be won by the conduct of their wives. And so if you want to win your husband to Christ that's maybe not a believer, then keep on going and setting that right example and keep on loving and reflecting the love of Christ in your home so that you might win your husband to Christ. And so what are we learning? That a husband is to lead his wife and help his wife grow spiritually, and the wife should do the same. And so we've got to hold each other accountable. That's what it says in Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another. Everybody say one another. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. And see, at the root of all marital difficulty is sin. And so what Paul and Peter are both challenging us is, is we need to help our spouse and lead them towards righteousness in any way that we can. And so we're to, uh, we are to uh, help grow spiritually. But then there's a third thought under this, and that is for the husbands to care for their wives completely. Notice what the next verse says, verse number 28. So what men ought to love their wives as their own bodies, for he that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord uh, the church. And so just as a, a man uh, would want to take care of his own body and kind of be interested in the health and in, in the prosperity of his own self, that is how we are to care for our wives, to elevate her needs above our need, needs. And so here's what Paul is saying in a nutshell for the husbands. Love your wife unconditionally. Love, it's a decision, not an emotion. Help her grow spiritually towards sanctification. And then care for her completely. Elevate her needs above your needs. And if you're thinking, man, it seems like these verses require a lot more from men than it does the wives, you're absolutely right. Because there is a high calling on the husband and on, on the father to lead the home. And there is a great weight and responsibility that God has entrusted to us to steward for his glory. And then this brings us to our fourth and final thought. You got one more in you today? Number four, revolutionary relationships are united together through Christ. Revolutionary relationships are united together through Christ. Now, in the next few verses, Paul is going to quote from Genesis 2, this foundational uh, passage from the creation narrative in regards to marriage. And uh, in fact, this is probably the most profound and uh, uh, profound statement in all of Scripture regarding marriage. Notice what he says in verse number 30. For we are members of his body of his flesh and his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined. And what we see here is unification. Joined. The word joined in the Hebrew is proskaleo. It literally means to be glued to something. Shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. 
And what we see here is the original a covenant relationship of marriage, this unification process. See, we, we, we need to stop viewing marriage as a consumer relationship and start viewing marriage as a covenant relationship because that's what it is. It's a horizontal covenant for sure between you and your spouse, but ultimately and more importantly, it's a vertical covenant between you and God. And there's this unification process here where we're gonna be joined together. The two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so he's talking about unification. Tim Keller in his book, Meaning of Marriage, he, he, he talks about uh, this article that was in the New York Times written by a journalist named Wendy Plump. And she was uh, describing the aftermath of an affair that she had. And she wrote a whole article about it. And she was talking about uh, marriage relationships and the, the aftermath of this affair. And it kind of opened up a world of opinion on her thread. And it, one of the comments on the thread said this, an affair only possesses the destructiveness of a bomb, in quotations, if you allow yourself to believe that. In my opinion, we need to begin the long process of reconditioning ourselves to let go of the culturally imposed obsession with monogamy. And, and that is the world that we're living in, where the biblical definition of marriage and the biblical definition of the home is radically changing. And now we're not so different from Ephesus and we're not so different from the Jewish culture and the Greek culture and the Roman culture. And we need to get back once again to revolutionizing our relationships. We need to get back to the future family. And so there's this unification that we see. Proverbs says in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 through 18, Solomon in all his wisdoms, he speaks on marital exclusivity when he says, drink waters out of thine own cistern, out of your own cistern, and running out of waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad and the rivers of water in the streets. Let them be uh, only thine own and not thy strangers with thee. Let the fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth saying, hey, don't go looking somewhere else for satisfaction. Remember your covenant before God. Remember the unification. Two shall be one. You're joined together. Hey, don't be running somewhere else for fulfillment. Don't be running somewhere else for pleasure. Remember your covenant. And then he says in verse number 21, for the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he pondereth all his goings. Just remember that God is watching and that God beholds both the evil and the good. He's saying, drink out of your own system, sister, and make sure that you are committed to this relationship. It's a covenant relationship, and so there's unification, but then there's one more thing will be done. There's admiration. Notice verse number 33. Nevertheless, he kind of he sums everything all up, and I love when, uh, when communicators, they'll kind of sum everything up that they've been talking about in kind of one simple statement so you can kind of get it. He says, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and let the wife see that she reverence her husband. And here is the foundational concept that so many have written on, and you can, you can find so many resources on this idea. But he says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, reverence your husbands. Respect, love and respect. You want to revolutionize your relationship? Love and respect. Now, these are not contingent commands. Husbands, you don't love your wives only if she's giving you respect. And wives, you don't respect your husbands only if you're getting the love you want. It's regardless of the level of respect you're getting that you love your wives, and it's regardless of the level of a love that you're getting that you will respect your husband. Love and respect. This is the foundational truth that, that Paul is teaching throughout this passage. These concepts, they're revolutionary. They were unheard of. They were absurd. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, when home is ruled according to God's word, angels might be asked to stay with us and they would not find themselves out of their element. See, when we start to revolutionize our relationships, when we start to follow a biblical blueprint for our relationships, it's heaven on earth. 
the angels wouldn't even feel out of place. Let me encourage you today to consider these concepts, to revolutionize your relationships, to get back to the future family and say, you know what? I'm not going to live according to my flesh, but I'm going to be governed by the Spirit of God, and I'm going to do what God wants me to do in this relationship. Let's get back to the future family. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? You know, 1 Corinthians 7, 28 says, but, in, but and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned, and if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. Paul says, hey, let me just give you a little secret about this whole marriage thing. There's going to be some trouble involved. There's going to be some conflict. There's going to be difficulty. There's going to be struggle. But if we follow a biblical blueprint, the Holy Spirit will guide us. And no, we're not going to be perfect. No, we're going to make, of course, we're going to make mistakes, but that is why God's grace is so sufficient for us. That even when we miss the mark, God's grace is available to us. As we're considering our relationships this morning, we have to consider ultimately the most important relationship that there is. Far more important than your relationship with your neighbors, far more important than your relationship with your co-workers, even far more important than your relationship with your spouse is your relationship with God. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.com.